Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I have somebody I hope will become a new friend. She's the most amazing dog trainer and author. Her name's Stephanie Russo. And with Turid Rugas, who's one of really the most internationally famous dog and horse trainers in the world, they have written a book called How to Raise a Puppy, a Dog-Centric Approach. Steph, I just have to say, I want you to be my new best friend. I love this book. I love your attitude to dogs. It's just so wonderful. And anyone who trains with you in Dublin, Ireland, where you live, is very, very lucky. Oh, thank you so much, Tracy. That's lovely to hear. It's great to hear when the book has had a positive response because we were braced for a little bit of backlash. Oh, interesting about the backlash. Well, I'll just say a few words about it, and then I'm dying to know what the backlash was. I mean, when when the subtitle is a dog-centric approach, I think what I love most about the book, and therefore you, is a compassion and empathy towards how dogs feel, how they think, how they experience life from babyhood on, because it's about how to raise a puppy, but I found it could apply to any dog anywhere. And, and there's a word you use in the book, which is social pain. Can you talk a little bit about how you and Turid, I think, are somewhat motivated or inspired by the idea of relieving social pain for dogs? Yeah, well, social pain is a really interesting term, and it's something I suppose that Turid has been talking about for years. But the actual term I came across through some of Franklin Macmillan's work. I'm not sure if you've if you've read I his work on social pain, but it's very interesting. Um, Is that person an ethologist or social pain for humans? He's an ethologist, I think. Gosh, so it's about <laughs> but it's about animals. The point is, it's, it's about, about animals, animals, not humans. It's, yes, and and specifically about dogs. One of the things that he says. Again, God, I hope it is him now that I'm now. It doesn't that I'm matter because him. you know what? <laughs> We're more interested in you and Turid right now. So, you know, yeah. you do have a lovely, you know, bibliography in the back so people can double check yeah, on this. Check so it. don't worry if you said it wrong. No one's going to, no one's going to, the, the name police will not come to your house and say, you said the wrong name. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> but one thing that he said that I think is really important is that, um, Dogs will actually choose physical pain over social pain. So they're incredibly social beings. And 
that's one thing that I think we can sometimes mess up on a lot with dogs. Yes. Because we've got we've got such busy lives, but they are social eaters. They're social sleepers. They're they always nearly choose to be around others. So in terms of alleviating the social pain, company is one of the big things that we talk about in the book. I think in the first few pages, yes. we say before yes. you even get a puppy, make sure that you can be there with that puppy and that if you can't be, that you can provide some sort of childcare, pet care. That's right. Um, because like when you have a baby, things do kind of stop. I'm experiencing that first time Yes, now. you are. Congratulations on being a new mum. Thank you. Thank you. But the days of just going out for dinner or going out for lunch when you want to, like when you when you have a human child, that all suddenly needs much more planning. You can't just go out and leave this infant creature on their own because in the wild that just wouldn't happen. Um, and they find it really, really distressing. And people put them in you know cages and crates to try and stop them doing things that they don't want but often it's out of distress they're acting out and so providing that company is really important and it's kind of 24 7 we talk a lot about social sleeping as well and how dogs puppies will sleep better if they're with somebody it's the it's the easiest cure for any sleep problem anyone is ever having with the dog I always say would you have the dog in your room because if they will have Kind of 99% of the time, whatever issue they're having, whether it's frequent waking or barking or needing to go out to the toilet, all of that tends to stop once they have access to that social sleep. So those are the sort of things that we, we talk about a lot in the book. But you go a whole step further, and it's a concept that was kind of a hippie idea in the U.S. at least in the 60s and 70s that humans should sleep with their children. It was called co-sleeping. There were whole books about it, and a lot of people thought, oh, no, and you bring this up in the book. Babies should just cry and get used to being alone. And you poo-poo that in this book and say if puppies are crying and whining, they're scared, they're anxious, they're alone put them in your bed. And I thought, wow, that is revolutionary because that idea of having infant children and even past in infanthood, people co-sleeping, family bed, was an idea that was considered kind of hippie and outside the norm for humans. I don't know if you have your baby sleeping with you. I know there's some worry that we could, just like a French bulldog, we could roll over and crush our baby. So we're scared of that. But but what about the co-sleeping? I just love that idea. Put the yeah. puppy in your bed. Oh, my God, that's just so adorable. And you're saying it's good for them. It's good for them. And in answer to your question, yes, I am. I do have the baby in the bed. It'd be very hypocritical of me to tell people <laughs> to, um, yes. to allow their puppies in the bed. But like that, just to draw the comparison, she knows if I try and put her in the little bedside sleeper, She's wide awake. She knows she's not in the bed, that she doesn't have that nice, safe warmth. Yes. And for any small animal, they're so vulnerable. Any any other animal could come and eat them at, at, at the, yes. the drop of a hat. So to know that you're near an adult, that you are safe, that an adult is there looking after you, that's really, really important for puppies. And it's really important for babies. If they feel like they're on their own, they feel vulnerable. So if you can... If you will probably find that that is where your puppy wants to be. They're like Velcro. They just want to be on top of you. And that's because they feel safe. They know there's a capable adult being looking after them and that they're not on their own. Well, you show and a that's wonderful... that's what they want to feel. And they want to feel that physical a closeness, actual contact. You, there's a yeah. wonderful photo from a, a, a Labradoodle or a Golden Doodle breeder. Uh, so cute, a little, a little donut bed that has squished all the puppies in it. 
because they yeah. do all sleep smushed together or with their mother. That's the norm. And another thing norm. you talk about in the book is that eight weeks is is this magic, stupid number that we all came up with when 10 or 12 weeks is the better time to take the puppy because the fear period could be uh, could be dealt with with your siblings and with your mother, whereas other dog training books say, no, eight weeks and toughen up that puppy, and then you'll be around mm-hmm. for the fear period. Except for they leave yeah. apart the part that people go to work for eight hours and crate the puppy. So yes. the puppy is just in complete isolation, terror, fear, loneliness during the most vulnerable emotional time in their life, and it leaves a scar. I mean, that's what you it talk does. about in the book. And it's funny because when, when you draw that comparison, I've got, I've, I did an infographic about this showing that very picture you've just mentioned and another one of the mother, of the baby and the mother lying together. Yes. And then showing that bear cage and saying, imagine going from this to this bear cage with these aliens that you've never met before. Well, you, you, you know, these people you've never met before from right. a different species. And you're in that cold little cage on your own and you can't move and there's no one there. It must be so frightening for them. And, and the other is. thing that's, that's really struck me as a parent is, I get emotional even thinking about it, if someone took my baby away to, you know, somewhere else totally and left them on their own to get upset, the thought of someone doing that to your baby is terrible. And for dogs, I'm sure if they had the capacity to, to know what was happening to their puppies, they'd find that so distressing. Yeah, they'd come after us. I mean, if you think back to photos that, that used to be circulated of Eastern European orphanages for humans with these children of all tiny ages put into very sterile metal with peeling paint cribs, just rooms yes. of them in these I cribs. Know. It was so heartrending. But that's what Critical. we do to puppies. We put them yeah. in these sterile crates. And then for the convenience of humans, it's all been, which you talk about in the book, it's all been justified. And I think yeah. on, on the training show, Good Dogs, we should definitely have the no crate story reinforced, but all yeah. for human convenience, when all it does is raise anxiety levels and create maybe even lifelong emotional issues for, for puppies, for dogs. It's not something they bounce back from. They've got no. to absorb that as if they were, as you say, an infant or a little tiny toddler taken away, put in a strange and scary sterile place, and then told, you'll be fine, but yeah, it leaves a scar. There. It does leave a scar. It does. So so this is the first message of how to raise a puppy, is you have to make a commitment to being with them or keeping them with you in one way or another to not leave or abandon them for long yeah. periods of time. Do you think it's pretty unrealistic? I mean, now post-COVID, many people work from home, but you were writing this book for some long time. Do you, did you ever think, well, God, this means that people that have a nine to five type job are going to really be in a pickle because they, now we've told them you're doing the wrong thing by the dog. What do we do about that? And I suppose just be just before I touch on that, one thing I do want to say is that I, I feel for people because I go and I meet so many people and I, I had a client a few, about a month back um, with a puppy. And as soon as I went in, she looked at me looking very guilty and said, we can't do the crate. It's not working. We, we, we can't put the puppy in the crate. And everyone had said to her, you have to put that puppy yes, in the crate. Yes. So people are told they have to and yes, there's no way are. to raise a, cup, a puppy without mm-hmm. it. So I, I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> lambasting people who are gen- genuinely think they're doing their best thing for their puppy. Um, 
So I just wanted to say that. And what I do understand that. I, I just want yeah. to say, Stephanie, that it's like um, the vets or others who say, never feed any table food, never feed any human food. And then oh, yeah. people would call into the show, the show and say, okay, I have to admit, I do feed human food. I said, no kidding. You give them the same food you eat. Fresh Isn't food. is that amazing? <laughs> That's terrible for them. Wow, how lovely. <laughs> just don't do it from the table. Put the plate down in the kitchen and the dog will be so patient until you put the plate down in the kitchen or add some to their meal. But like that same guilt. Feed them from the table, feed them from the table. I feed my dogs from the table and they're not pests. They might kind of come over and see what there is. That's funny. Well, I just put my plate (laughs) down in the dining room on the floor when I finish. She waits till I put my fork down. But then again, we're, we're more probably alert to the dog's communication than people whose dogs jump on their lap while you know with their front paws while they're eating (laughs) we don't highly recommend that no no and we don't have that in the house (laughs) but in terms of people feeling guilty about crates yeah if you're told that one way is the right way then or 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 how about healing right near your left knee you talk about that in the book too yes kind of unrealistic heart more than when I see dogs who are walking along and they've actually lost the will to sniff and they just plod along beside their owner. I think it's the most depressing thing. Um, I couldn't agree more. And And you make it very clear why in the book. The ability to explore and to have free choice and free will is vitally important. So you talk about And we'll do a segment of Good Dogs about this, too, if people want to get really granular about specific advice. But the idea that you do use a longer leash, obviously not in a heavy traffic, high pedestrian zone, never an extendo leash, which I couldn't agree more is horrible. But to give them more room away from you while still under some safety attachment to you, the importance of that free will. I mean, a lot of your book is about choice giving dogs choice, which is something no one has ever told us before. It's a very new idea of yours. And and I I, I don't think it is necessarily a new idea of ours, but I think the interpretation of it has been a little bit off. Certainly when I was in the UK years ago, they were talking about giving dogs choice, but it wasn't real choice. (laughs) It was. (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) You know, it wasn't, it wasn't really when you looked, it was like, they can sit and have a treat or they can not have a treat. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> you know, it wasn't, it wasn't so really funny. giving them true autonomy to think about what they want to do and then do it. Right. And I suppose just one thing on those on those long leads as well. I don't know if you've ever talk, spoken to the Budzinskis who are a couple in France, but they've done heart rate studies when they've looked at the dog's heart rate on different lengths of leads. And the longer the leads are, the more relaxed the dogs are, the shorter your lead is, the more tense they are because they don't have that choice, that all important choice and that ability to to curve and to use their body language. So that's amazing. In in Italy, at least, I can't remember so much about Paris, but people that had large male dogs because they don't neuter in in large parts of Europe, and you do talk about neutering being actually illegal in Sweden and Norway, neutering or spaying, mm-hmm. but the, the large male dogs are on leads. The fancy stores, dog stores in Italy, whether it's Milan, Rome, or wherever, they sell leads that are about a foot long. Literally, there's a yeah. clip, a little bit of leather, and then the handle. There's yeah. no leash at all. They're just meant to be snugged up against you in this idea that, I don't know, give the impression that they're dangerous, give the impression that they're protecting you, or just people's fear of giving the dog any decision making. 
on yeah. how to handle whatever comes along, right? And that's not a life, is it? No, no, no it is not a life. I, I, the other thing that you talk about is head halters. Halties is a brand. Um, yeah. I know there's a, a British company that that had a, a different kind of head halter, but you don't like those at all either that kind of yank the dog's head to the side. Not good for their neck, but also kind of ergonomically nothing to do with being a dog. Never Absolutely. letting their nose be free. I know, and they need they need to put their nose down. They need yes. to be able to sniff. Yes. And if you've got them tied up by their noses, and I mean, that's only the beginning of the problem. It can rub against their eyes. Yes. And the dogs hate them. I've never seen a dog in a halty that wasn't constantly trying to rub it off that's someone's right. leg or rub it off the that's ground. That's right. No, and definitely. It's, it's, definitely true. In fact, I remember years ago, 20, 30 years ago, when they were being recommended, and I used them on a dog that was pawing and clawing and almost going to take her own eye out with her dew claw. They should just mm-hmm. keep walking, keep walking. She'll get used to it. Well, then, you know, you have what you talk about in the book and just mentioned, which is they've given up. They've learned helplessness. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm being held by the nose like a bull going into the bull ring with a nose ring, right? I mean, how's it mm-hmm. so different? And they just give up. And they can't communicate. Yeah. And that communication, they use their faces so yes. much for communication. Yes. And they can't, they can't use their calming signals. They can't look away or sniff the ground or curve. They can't do any of things, the things that they need to do. Well, to I, feel I, I, it's, it, the book is just so chock-a-block with wonderful realizations and observations and kindnesses towards dogs. And we've run out of time, Stephanie Russo, but you and Turid Rugas have written a really brilliant book for even if someone doesn't have a puppy, even if you have had a dog for as long as forever, or you just got a dog from a shelter or rehome from a family member who isn't a puppy, how to raise a puppy, a dog-centric approach is just a wonderful way to think differently and much kindlier towards dogs. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for this book. And I look forward to talking to you more on Good Dogs about specific training issues that I know you will be very helpful. Great. I look forward to that, Tracy. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like No Hide and the Hybrid Dry Food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Weimer runner Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp, formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.